0: now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So how are you doing? Let's do a temperature check. How are you doing in your hearts and in your minds? How are you managing life in these dangerous times? I mean, the stats show that collectively, we Canadians aren't doing so well. Earlier this month, Morneau Chapelle, which is a leading provider of corporate mental health services in Canada, shared an update of its mental health index. So it provides counseling and care for lots of employees right across the nation, and it keeps track of some statistics. And this index that they keep, showed a statistically significant decrease in mental health when compared with pre-COVID-19 benchmarks. The change represents a current score of 63 compared to the benchmark of 75, a 16% drop. And this type of score, what the score means to them, to us, is typically only seen in the subset of employees who've had a major life disruption and mental health risk. Canadians, it, se- it seems, are in a bad place these days. Of course, this data came from March and earlier. It doesn't include the past three weeks, where we've seen supply shortages, deepening financial strains, and the deadliest kill- killing spree in Canadian history So how are you doing today? Are you nurturing a healthy mindset as we make our way through these dangerous times? Now, there are numerous ways to nurture a healthy mindset, and you should include a good diet, exercise, and professional health help when you need it. But don't forget that a healthy mindset also springs from hope where we set our hearts. In his book, The Anxiety and Phobia Workbook and Healing Fear, Edmund Bourne notes a study of patients recovering, recovering from cardiac surgery. The study found that the patients who gained strength and comfort from their religion, who in essence had hope, maintained hope, survived longer after the surgery than those without hope. Nurturing hope makes a profound and real effect in our lives. Want a healthy mind and body? You've got to nurture hope. So where does a person find hope in times like these? Well, today... We've heard a familiar psalm, that psalm that Marian read to us. It's often read in times of crisis. Like the 23rd psalm, it's a psalm, a song, that invites us to look to God for confidence. But unlike the Shepherd's psalm, it's a communal song, addressing not just individual troubles, but churches, communities, nations. Please turn in your Bible with me to Psalm 46. Now, depending on the translation you're looking at, you may find an italicized word, Salah, which is probably a musical notation, at the end of verse 3 and 7, and and at the end of the psalm. If you don't see it there, it's probably in the notes. This Salah breaks the psalm into three sections, verses 1 to 3. Verses 4 to 7 and verses 8 to 11. Between the different sections and within the sections, there are notable, even jarring, contrasts as the psalmist moves in counterpoint between images of chaos and peace. So let's look at that first section, verses 1 to 3. In verse 1, the psalmist begins not with a call to worship, but a declaration of trust in God. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Now, you may note that this statement of confidence is unreserved and unqualified, not limited to sunny days. This confidence in God is there for when the world is collapsing, literally falling apart. For we hear in verse 2, "'Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way,' and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. This is vivid language. We, most of us who've, been to places like Vancouver and further east, are aware of things like earthquakes and tsunamis and can imagine the terror that this is portraying. But how are we to understand that talk about mountains falling into the heart of the sea? Biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann notes that in the ancient Near East, the mountains in the heart of the sea were the pillars of the earth that also held the sky in place. And so the thought of the mountains and the sea tottering suggests that the earth is about to collapse and the sky about to fall. We're not talking about little tremors. We're talking about the cosmos collapsing. Well, that's even worse than an earthquake. It all sounds pretty grim. And yet, even in that terrible situation, the psalmist has confidence and trust. God is not an escape, but God is a refuge and a help. Our second section begins at verse 4 and suddenly switches images. Instead of raging waters, we encounter a tamed river flowing through the city of Jerusalem. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll find this statement to be rather puzzling. While in Jerusalem, I had the chance to see Hezekiah's tunnel, that underground water channel that, that was cut to bring waters from the Gihon Springs right into the city. But there is no literal river that makes the city glad like you might find in Paris. Uh, this is poetic imagery. In the ancient Near East, images of sacred places of divine presence often picture rivers running through them. The streams of water flow from the divine presence and bring nourishment and hope to the community. And so the psalmist is asserting that just as God is a refuge amidst the chaos, God is an oasis, a life-giving source for the community. The seas may be surging and the nations may be tottering, yet under God's rule and protection, the community is nurtured with new life and blessed with new strength. I should note, as an aside, an important aside, that while the ancient Israelites once understood that the temple was the home of God's presence, we understand that Jesus embodies God's presence and that the Spirit is flowing within our hearts. But more than simply providing protection, God is depicted as exercising sovereign rule over both creation and and the nations. As we read in verse 6, all he has to do is speak. He lifts his voice and these contentious nations are no more. The earth melts. The promise is not only of refuge and oasis, but that one day God will quell the chaos, even undo the tools of destruction. We read about this in the final section, beginning at verses 8. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. God doesn't just provide a refuge for us. God doesn't just create an oasis. One day God will exercise his unquestionable power over both cosmic and political forces to such an extent that he will unbuild the very technology of war. So what is our response to this reminder and this promise? How do we appropriate it? How do we welcome it into our hearts, our lives? Well, we are called to be still. One commentator notes that most uses, usages of this phrase are pulled from outside the context of the psalm and refer to stillness along the lines of relaxing or quiet meditation. Now, those things may be helpful, but what The kind of stillness this psalm is referring to is more like the sound of a parent sharply correcting his or her fidgeting child. Be still. Stop being anxious. Stop this endless worry. Trust in the God you know, the God who has promised to care for you through all of these difficulties. When we recognize and hold on to this promise, when we determine to be still, to grasp onto this gift as God, as shelter, we discover that, well, we do have powerful new resources. And there is peace and hope. Some of you know that Psalm 46 was important to the the reformer Martin Luther, and that Luther wrote a paraphrase that became a popular hymn. I would like you to listen to this abridged version of an article written by Mark Galley, an article about Martin Luther, entitled, The Weak Man Behind a Mighty Fortress. The Weak Man Behind a Mighty Fortress. As Galley speaks. It was the worst of times. 1527, one of the most trying years of Luther's life. On April 22nd, a dizzy spell further forced Luther to stop preaching in the middle of his sermon. He walked out of the live stream. For 10 years, since publishing his 95 theses against the abuse of indulgences, Luther had been buffeted by political and theological storms At times, his life had been endangered. Now he was battling with other reformers over the meaning of the Lord's Supper, Supper, and he was suffering severe depression. On July 6th, as friends arrived for dinner, Luther felt an intense buzzing in his left ear. He went to lie down. He became cold and was convinced he had seen his last night. With a doctor's help, Luther partially regained his strength, but this depression and illness overcame him again in August, September, and late December. Looking back on one of his bouts, he wrote his friend Melanchthon, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain, and I still tremble. But through the prayers of the saints, God began to have mercy on me and pulled my soul from the inferno below. Meanwhile, in August, the plague had erupted in Wittenberg. That's right, a plague. Maybe not un- unlike COVID. As fears spread, so did many of the townspeople. But Luther considered it his duty to remain and care for the sick. Even though his wife was pregnant, Luther's house was transformed into a hospital, and he watched many friends die. Then his own son became ill. Not until late November did the epidemic abate and the ill begin to recover. During that horrific year, Luther took time to remember the 10th anniversary of his publication against indulgences, noting the deeper meaning of his trials. Sometime that year, Luther expanded that thought into the hymn he is now most famous for. Let me read to you a verse from that hymn. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us we will not fear for God has willed his triumph his truth to triumph through us The prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him his rage we can endure for lo His doom is sure. One little word word will fell him. Well, may this be true for us as it was true for Martin Luther. And to God be the glory. Amen.